It's Friday, February the 21st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Roger Stone sentenced and Morgan Stanley buys E-Trade. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump's political adviser Roger Stone was sentenced to 40 months in prison on charges of lying to Congress, obstruction and witness tampering. Federal prosecutors had recommended up to nine years in prison, only to have appointed officials step in and recommend a lighter sentence. Mr Trump had tweeted his fury about the process, prompting complaints from his attorney general. The New York Times reported that an official serving under America's Director of National Intelligence told members of Congress last week that Russia is trying to interfere with this year's elections in order to benefit the campaign to re-elect the president. Mr Trump was reportedly perturbed about the disclosure. On Wednesday, he replaced the DNI with a loyalist. South Korea took an unwelcome place near the top of the COVID-19 league tables. At least 156 people in the country have tested positive for the disease, around 80 of whom seem to have caught it during church services attended by one infected woman. So far, 99% of the nearly 77,000 confirmed cases worldwide are in China. China's central bank cut its interest rates in order to prop up the country's flagging economy, which has been hit hard by measures designed to curb the spread of COVID-19. The central bank's one-year loan rate was cut from 4.15% to 4.05%, while its five-year rate was cut from 4.8% to 4.75%. Morgan Stanley, an investment bank, is buying E-Trade, a discount brokerage, for $13 billion in the biggest takeover by a Wall Street bank since the financial crisis. With 5 million retail customers and $360 billion in managed assets, E-Trade gives Morgan Stanley more heft in the wealth management industry, a juicy sector for investment banks seeking to diversify. Telefonica revealed a surprise net loss of 202 million euros, 224 million dollars in the fourth quarter of 2019. Analysts had expected it to make around 512 million euros over that three-month period. Revenues at the Spanish telecoms giant fell 4% to 12.4 billion euros. Executives blamed restructuring costs and impairments from its ailing Mexican and Argentine operations for the poor set of results. And Germany's federal prosecutor called shootings in the town of Hanau an act of domestic terrorism and said the perpetrator had acted with racist intent. Nine people, many of them Turkish nationals, were killed when he fired at customers outside two shisha bars. The suspect, who had been unknown to authorities, and a woman were found dead at his flat. And now here's today's agenda. What happens in Vegas, the Nevada caucuses. Nevadans join the primary season fray on Saturday. Like Iowa, Nevada holds a caucus, meaning that Democrats gather in set locations around the state and select their preference on a card. Any candidate who fails to garner 15% support is declared non-viable in that location. Their supporters can leave or join another group. But unlike Iowa, Nevada also has early voting, in which Democrats rank their choices on a ballot. Around 75,000 people have voted so far. Keenly aware of the technological breakdown that befouled Iowa's caucuses, Nevada has warned that results may not be available on the day. 
Polls show Bernie Sanders with a healthy lead despite a late dispute with the Culinary Workers Union which opposes his Medicare for All plan. Should the field below him really fracture and no other candidate reach 15%, he could significantly pad his delegate lead. After Nevada, the action moves to South Carolina on February 29th. A harder line, Iran's parliamentary elections. Iran's authorities were never going to leave these elections to the whims of the electorate. They have done everything possible to ensure that hardliners win a landslide, screening out reformists and disqualifying half the candidates more than ever before. That has cleared a path for commanders from the Revolutionary Guards, the Ayatollah's Praetorian force and dogmatic clerics to sweep back control of the parliament. But the growing dominance of the guards is alienating many who want to normalise Iran's economic and cultural ties with the world and slough off American sanctions. I have lost faith in the Islamic Republic, says a lawyer who voted in 2016 but now says he will boycott the elections. Fearing a crisis of legitimacy, the supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei has pronounced voting a religious duty. Candidates sing and dance at rallies in search of support, but political analysts predict only one in six of Tehran's voters, for instance, will cast a ballot. Good cover, Allianz's positive earnings. Europe's biggest insurer will today release preliminary results for the past financial year. Oliver Beta, who has been Allianz's chief executive since 2015, will likely revel in the company's earnings, which are expected to be bumper. Mr Beta has been trying to make the 130-year-old insurance behemoth slimmer, more digital and more profitable. These efforts have been paying off lately, with the firm's share price trending mostly upwards since he took over. Yet Mr. Beta cannot rest on his laurels. The spread of COVID-19 is but one of the many new risks that will pose an enormous challenge for both insurers and reinsurers. Mr. Beta is also concerned about the European Central Bank's ultra-loose monetary policy, which he says is multiplying risk by encouraging banks to invest in government debt. This looks likely to remain one of his top worries, as the ECB seems unlikely to change course anytime soon, even under the new leadership of Christine Lagarde. Inching closer, South Sudan's unity government. Nine months and two missed deadlines behind schedule, tomorrow South Sudan's warring parties are due to put aside their differences and finally share power. Rebel leader Riek Masha will return from exile in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, to take up his old post as vice president in a coalition government. Rebels and government forces are to be integrated into a national army of 83,000 men and elections are to be held in three years. Stalled talks were given a boost in recent days after President Salva Kiir announced that he had agreed to cut the number of states from 32 to 10, a big concession. But the two men still quibble over the details and Mr. Mashar may flee again soon if he fears for his safety. South Sudan, however, desperately needs an end to a civil war that has cost hundreds of thousands of lives and driven one-third of the population from their homes. For old time's sake, politics in the Great Lakes. Paul Kagame and Yoweri Museveni, presidents of Rwanda and Uganda respectively, go back a long way. Mr Kagame was raised as a refugee in Uganda and went to Mr Museveni's old school. He fought in the rebel army that brought Mr Museveni to power, becoming its intelligence chief. 
Later, after Mr Kagame had returned to Rwanda, the two men joined forces to launch wars in the Democratic Republic of Congo, then tussled for influence and loot. But when the former comrades meet today on the Rwanda-Uganda border, they will need to make up rather than reminisce. Their governments have exchanged accusations of spying and of backing rebel groups. The border has been partly closed. Several traders were shot while trying to cross, but there are hopeful signs. Since January, Uganda has released 22 Rwandan nationals whom it had detained on charges including espionage. Regional stability rests on rekindling an old relationship. Finally, here's the quote of the day from David Foster Wallace, who was born on this day in 1962. The truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.